everybody, how's it going? This is Hub, and welcome back to another episode of Titan Up the Defense, a podcast that would likely benefit from a tagline. As I believe I just mentioned, my name's Hub, and I hope you're having a fine whenever the heck it is you end up listening to this. Me? I'm doing pretty well. Been uh, going back and reading some old Marvel 2-in-1 comics, which is a nice time. Although I was to a certain extent struck by the impracticality of the thing's outfit. I mean, well, on the one hand, you can see that wearing just a blue pair of underpants would lend itself to a certain freedom of movement, which would be useful in crime fighting. It seems like it would be more of a hindrance than a help in certain ways. You see, when you're just wearing a pair of tidy blueies, there are kind of a lot of establishments that just won't let you in. I've learned this lesson the hard way. The strict rule across universes, be it the 616 or our own, is no shirt, no shoes, no service. And so if Ben Grimm, a.k.a. The Thing, is pursuing, say, a supervillain or a member of the Yancey Street Gang who's been hassling him, and they duck into a nice cream parlor, oops, you don't have any shoes, you don't have any shirt, you can't come inside. So... I have a partial solution that I would like to offer to the thing. Clearly, he can wear shirts and has uh, at various points. I would say he should probably go back to the onesie, like, wrestling outfit that he wore sometimes. That way, also, you get to have the four on the front. That's a nice time. Want some team cohesion to the thing. But perhaps most importantly, I say you get yourself a big old stack of those unstable molecules that uh, all your costumes are made out of so they can, you know, catch on fire or stretch or turn invisible and still be fine. And you go up to Reed Richards and you say, hey, buddy, you turned me into this monstrosity. So now I've got three words for you. It's cobblering time. Get it? It's cobblering time. Yeah, it was a long way to go to get to that joke, and uh, I'd like to offer my most insincere apology for that. Anyway, we got a very important comic to get to, so without any further ado, let's, uh, do this. Today's synopsis rhyme is submitted by Devin Tuhey. Cindy wants her fairy godmother to bippity-bop this lengthy Bronze Age comic to a pithy synopsis. Synopsis. Thanks, Devin. New Teen Titans, number 39, February 1984, Crossroads. Written by Marv Wolfman, drotted by George Perez, inked by George Perez, lettered by Ben Oda, and edited by Len Wein, Marv Wolfman, and George Perez. New Teen Titans Roll Call, Robin, Kid Flash, Wonder Girl, Beast Boy, Raven, Cyborg. Starfire, and Terra. Previously in the New Teen Titans. Times have been tumultuous for our titular teenagers. In addition to their ongoing investigation of the sinister, supposedly septicentennial cult leader, Brother Blood, our costumed crime fighters have been contending with a couple of crises of consciousness. Kid Flash has decided that the superhero life is not for him and has quit the team. Sort of. In the opposite of an Irish goodbye, Wally has said goodbye to his teammates, then continued to hang around for several months. Robin has also been increasingly uncomfortable with his role as sidekick of Batman, and has spent several months lashing out at everyone around him, finally hitting rock bottom by palling around with world's worst district attorney, Adrian Chase. 
When Chase started murdering mobsters as the imaginatively monikered gun-toting vigilante, Vigilante, Robin finally realized what an asshole he had been lately and apologized to his teammates. Hooray! But little did our pubescent protagonist realize that the Titans were facing an even bigger threat than Dick's assholery and Wally's reluctance to realize his retirement. For unbeknownst to them, the team's most recent recruit, a brash young earthbending orphan named Terra, was secretly an undercover agent for their flagship foe Deathstroke, a superpowered assassin who uses 90% of his brain but only 50% of his eyeballs. Gadzooks! Will Wally finally realize that an important part of quitting the team is actually quitting the team? How will Dick demonstrate his adolescent existential angst? And how can we be sure that Terra is truly the evil infiltrator she seems to be? Stay tuned to find out. Okay, so, yup. By taking a page out of Cyborg's handbook and removing his clothes in public, and she smokes. A bunch of army-looking dudes are hanging out on the frozen tundra of the Alaskan wilderness. One of the dudes starts talking shit about walruses, so Cyborg shows up and bops him on the noggin hot potato style. Nice. Hey, Cyborg, I didn't know you were a walrus fan. Which do you like more, the fact that they use their mustaches to detect shellfish, or the fact that their scientific name, Odobinus, means tooth-walking seahorse? Ooh, ooh, or is it that they have a tusk-based hierarchy? Cyborg? Cyborg? Oh. He's busy. I bet it's the Tusk-based hierarchy. Soon all of the Titans are busy, whooping the shit out of the army guys. Turns out that they aren't army guys after all, but disguised agents of the surprisingly spry 700-year-old cultist Brother Blood, who are guarding a secret base. The Titans Kool-Aid man their way into the Arctic base and continue to beat up incognito cultists. While her pugilism-prone pals are participating in the punch-em-up, Raven senses that something super-duper evil is going on behind a particularly conspicuous steel door. The avian-themed Azerathian empath decides to investigate what lies beyond the apparently insidious egress and teleports herself through the door. Wally sees what Raven is up to and is like, Stupid Raven, you never just rush blindly through a door when you don't know what's on the other side of it. It could be a trap! I'd better go rush blindly through that door that I don't know what's on the other side of, so I can tell her that. boy, Wally. You may have quit the team, like, a really long time ago, but you're still a teen titan at heart. After they KO the remaining Ursat's army men, the other titans notice that two of their teammates are missing. Or, technically, one of their teammates and one of their former teammates who quit six months ago but is still hanging around for some reason. Robin addresses his teammates and is like, Okay, guys, I bet our pals rushed through that suspicious door and blundered into a probable trap. That was a bad move. We're supposed to rush through suspicious doors and blunder into probable traps as a team. Let's show them how it's done. And with that, the remaining Teen Titans burst through the suspicious door en masse. Yeah, it turns out it was a trap. You don't say. The Titans find themselves trapped in some kind of an electrical-slash-magical cage that is slowly sapping away their superpowers. Bummer. Brother Blood's chief acolyte, a sexy, satanic, nun-looking lady named Mother Mayhem, starts taunting them and telling the trapped teens about how dead they're going to be soon. Very. Very is how dead they will be soon, according to Mother Mayhem. Fortunately, our heroes have a specific plan that they have trained for just in case they get caught in an electrical-slash-magical cage that slowly drains their powers. It comes up more often than you might imagine. 
Beast Boy transforms himself into an electric eel and has Starfire grab onto him as Cyborg grabs onto her. Then Gar grabs onto one of the bars of the cage and the Titans are free. Hooray! See, having an alien princess, a robot man, and an electric eel grab onto the side of an electrical slash magical cage causes it to short circuit. Obviously. Once free, our octet of adolescent adventures make short work of the remaining acolytes of the Church of Blood. Hooray! Our heroes find a secret room filled with weapons and secret plans connecting Brother Blood to a number of U.S. congressmen. Oh man, corrupt politicians? Thank goodness this is just a comic book. After a bit of debate, the Titans decide to turn the evidence over to their pal Captain Hall in the police department. A few days later, in Slade Wilson, aka Deathstroke's penthouse apartment, the super assassin and his diminutive double agent Terra watch the footage of the Titans' Arctic adventure, which the duplicitous dirt distributor had recorded on the fancy contact lens cameras her partner had provided. As they watch the ocularly obtained video, the differently depth-perceptioned duo discuss the fact that they are definitely bad guys. As though to confirm this fact, Tara is smoking cigarettes and wearing a lot of makeup. The Fiend. It is also probably worth noting that as Tara, who celebrated her 16th birthday with the Titans a few issues ago, is hanging out in Deathstroke's apartment, she is wearing a short purple robe under which she appears to be nude. It is not so subtly implied that she and Deathstroke are sleeping with each other. It's pretty unsettling, at least partly because I'm not sure if it's supposed to be unsettling. As the two are chatting, Tara notices an old photo of Slade with his former wife and their two sons. Hmm, we know that one of Slade's kids, an asshole named Grant, died in the second issue of the new Teen Titans, but I wonder who that other kid is. Oh well. He's probably irrelevant and not a pivotal new character who will be introduced soon and have a big impact on the title. Tara is like, Hey, are you sure you're a bad guy? Slade responds, Yup, totally irredeemable. Are you sure you're a bad guy? Tara replies, Uh, yeah, I'm smoking cigarettes, aren't I? Slade goes, Good point. Hey, just for fun, let's play that game where you try to kill me and I try not to die. Sound good? The underage earth-moving asshole agrees, and the two head off to a mountain. Their contest proceeds as they described it. As Terra tries to kill him, Deathstroke notes that her time with the Titans has made her way better at trying to kill him than she used to be. He is both impressed with her formidable firmament flinging and her ruthlessness, but he does manage not to die, so I guess he wins. Later that evening, Terra heads back to the Titans' T-shaped skyscraper to continue her mission. As she approaches the tower, she bumps into a red-headed stranger who has commandeered the Titan's ferry. Is it Willie Nelson? Nope. Different red-headed stranger. It's Wally! This is the first time Tara has seen the fleet-footed teen, who literally doesn't know the meaning of the word quit, out of uniform. When they arrive at their destination, Wally gathers the entire group around and says he has an announcement. He's quitting the team. Yeah, we, we know. Oh, do you mean for real this time? Hooray! Raven asks if it was her fault, and Wally is like, Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, there was a bunch of other stuff too, but you were a huge part of it. This might be the last chance I get to say this for a while, but... Damn it, Wally! Ah, oh, I'm gonna miss that. The rest of the team collects their hugs and handshakes, and when they're done, Wally drops the magic ring that contains his costume on the end table and asks his former teammates to hang on to it for him. As he turns to leave... Robin pipes up and is like, 
Hold on a second, buddy. That's some nice thunder you got there. Mind if I steal it? The boy wonder goes on to tell the team that he's tired of being Robin. He's been wearing the same costume since he was eight years old, and he's done with it. Well, if he's had that outfit since he was eight, I guess that explains why the shorts are so small. The gang freaks out and thinks that he's leaving the team, but he explains that not to worry, nobody of consequence is quitting the team today. He's just tired of living in Batman's shadow and wants to figure out his own hero identity. Until then, he's going to be just plain old billionaire acrobat Dick Grayson. Then he removes his mask and strips off his costume. Oh, okay. Seems like you could have just changed into your civilian clothes before you came in the way Wally did, or, you know, just take off the mask and change outfits later. But yeah, doing a striptease in front of your co-workers is another way to go, I guess. Robin, or just Dick now, says that at least until he figures out his new alter ego, Donna should be the team's leader. Hooray! Wally gets all sad when he sees that everyone is making a bigger deal out of Dick potentially getting a new outfit than they did about him quitting. Hooray! Later that night, Dick and Coriander accompany Wally out of the tower and off the island, nominally so that they can say farewell, but... Possibly it's also just policy for former employees so that they can make sure they don't steal office supplies or lasers or something. After a heartfelt goodbye, Wally meets his magnet-powered pal Francis Kane on the docks, and the two teens begin their long drive back to the Midwestern home in Blue Valley. Hey, I wonder if the reason Wally delayed leaving the team so long was because he wanted to do like a farewell tour the way Kobe Bryant did, so that each of the Titans' enemies could have one final chance to fight him. No, that's not fair. I give Wally a lot of well-deserved shit, and he may be kind of an asshole, but I'm not going to go so far as to imply that he might be a Kobe Bryant fan. That'd just be mean. And joining us once again, returning from his stay in the Diet Moxie dimension, is my good-for-many-things brother, Corey. Corey, how are you doing? Better now, man. Diet Moxie is bullshit. I know. I think drinking a can in a week is a new record for you. I don't even know how this happened. I thought I was getting the orange can, and next thing I know, I'm in a weird place with a white can. Curses, man. Curses. Curses are one of the worst things. Mm-hmm. I was actually just saying curses. Ah, like... You know, like a villain would. My father's beard. Yeah, like by my whole dad. Wait, are those curses, or like, uh... Uh, oaths, like... maybe? I think they're curses. Does a curse always You're have not to... supposed to take the name of your dad's beard in vain. Oh, and that makes it a curse? Uh, sure. Okay. Curses! So, what'd you think of the book? Man, this is drawn it so beautifully. It really is. I have many times in the past sang the virtues of Romeo Tangala's and Inker, and those statements stand, but this is, I think, in this book, the first time we have seen Perez inking his own shit, and it is fucking gorgeous. It is crazy the level of detail that is... I don't understand how they can actually pull off these amount of pages in a, a month. It's astounding. It's. I have a friend who's a really good artist who I was showing some comic book panels to, and I was like, yeah, and 30 pages of these in a month. And he was just like, no! Can't be done. Yeah, but I guess it can be. And man, yeah, super, super pretty. And big events happening. Indeed. It's kind of funny because overall, not very much happens in this issue in terms of action, but we've got a lot to talk about. 
I think so. So, let's get into it. Okie dokie. Wally! About fucking time, man. Seriously. Maybe it speaks to my level of unprofessionalism, but I can't imagine putting in six months notice on a job. Have you ever? No, I have not. No, I don't think most people would. That's a long time. That's a half of a year. I know. But he finally followed through on his threat or promise and quit the team. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, back to school, full time. Yep. Which is also confusing because, I mean, you'd think coming to a decision like that, this is big, like, inflection point on life, he would go become the man of the house. Right, right. Start carving that turkey. Not a student. Full time. Seems kind of like a regression. He's like, I've decided that I'm all grown up, so I'm going to move back home and live with my parents. Mm -hmm. Or Or in a dorm. Yeah, maybe he's just going off to college now. Either way, it it represents a transition to him. Every time we see Frances Kane show show up and we see that she's living back in Blue Valley, I keep thinking, like, I hope she didn't move back in with her terrible, abusive mom. Or Like, there's no resolution to that storyline. Her mom just straight up hates her and wishes she was dead, and then she goes back to hang out with her, I guess. Yeah, I don't think she moved back in with her mom. I hope not. Hmm. I think she's going to school, and she likes it, and that's she influenced Wally to be like, hey, the dorm's so cool, we have an international floor. Oh, like, yeah. Come hang out. Blue Valley has, like, a really, really good communications program. Mm, psychology. Oh, God, do you think Wally's getting into psychology? I don't really see what else he would get into. (laughs) Oh, fair enough. (laughs) (laughs) So, Wally has his big news, and it gets almost immediately overshadowed by Robin's really objectively much lesser news that he waited for to upstage Wally. Which also incensed Wally, which I did take some... (laughs) I don't know if it qualifies as schadenfreude, but some pleasure in him being like, oh man, I gave my big news, and then Robin gave his big news, and people liked his big news better than mine. It totally is. And really, it is a dick move on Robin's part. (laughs) Even the way that he does it. Because he does it in a way that's intentionally misleading, and he's just like, oh, well, since Wally has, after six months of sitting on the fence and saying that he's going to quit and telling us all that he was going to quit... He's finally going to quit. I've got some big news of mine. I'm going to stop being Robin. And Kid Flash has just said he's going to stop being Kid Flash. And by that, he means he's quitting the team and going home. And so everybody's immediately like, no, not you, dick. Mm -hmm. It's especially kind of funny because everybody had just been like, well, good luck, Wally. See ya. Mm -hmm. I have mixed emotions about you leaving. Why does Donna have mixed emotions about him leaving? Shouldn't she at least pretend to just be sad about it? Like, on one hand, you're a real dick. <laughs> on the other hand, you're very good at running. So it's a real catch-22 for me here. Who's gonna drink all the syrup? Oh boy. We did have some good times with old Wally. And this issue did make me nostalgic for that. So let's think back on some of the good times we had with Wally. There was a time when a demon tried to kill him, so he drank all the syrup. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was, I think, maybe my favorite time with him. Sebastian's run with the flips was pretty good. Yeah, yeah, him chasing around the flips. Uh, and 
when they were acting as bodyguards to that other rock star, and he pretended he could play the guitar, but he was really bad at playing the guitar. Oh, yeah. That was fun. Yeah, I think I had that as a Facebook profile picture for yeah. a while. Yeah, that was pretty good. The time when he went undercover as a hippie and called himself Feet. Yeah, you know. Hippies. You know, like hippies do. Yeah, Feet. What is this? It was Feet, Paradise Baby, Feathers, and... Wet and Wild. Oh, man. That was the thing that I feel like I was really missing more than anything else in this was I wanted Aqualad to stop by and say hello, especially when they were on the water saying goodbye to the Titan Tower and it's two of the original members of the team and the third is missing and they're on the ocean. Like, just have them stop by with Topo and Beaky and say like, hey, later guys. Nice opportunity. You really did it. Hmm. Honestly, original run Teen Titans, Wally, really fun. Yeah. I, m- I miss that kid. And I'm sorry to see him go, but uh, good riddance to new Teen Titans, Wally. Not a fan. Yeah, man. Bummer. Yeah. Giant bummer. What do you think of Robin's decision to put away his short pants? I hope he listens to Cyborg. I hope that he does not don a new pair of short pants <laughs> as his next iteration or disguise. Yeah, I I think he's learned his lesson with that. Although it is funny, like, the way that he decides to announce to the team that he is putting away his costume, as soon as he makes the announcement, he just starts kind of doing a strip tease. Mm-hmm. Which I like that Tara noticed and was like, ooh, ooh take it off! That ooh, was funny. Ooh. And when he reaches the point where he is taking off his Robin tunic, he says, this is the hardest part. Do you think he meant metaphorically, or do you think that he had trouble with those buttons? Because Starfire does, at that point, help him remove the tunic part. Yeah, I, it's nobody knows. Combination sure. of the two, Could probably. Yeah. I noticed he kept the little shoes. Like, that was the whole outfit he had, was like a chainmail onesie. Like a lady's uh, bathing suit. A yeah. One, a one-piece. Yeah, which, that would be a terrible bathing suit. Oof. Unless you have sea strength and limbs. Or it'd have to be some sort of metal that did not rust. Oh, oh, or chafe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, chainmail bathing suits, no good. Thumbs down. But he's just wearing those and his little Peter Pan shoes, and he announces, like, well, that's it. It's like, you could have brought a change of shoes. Yeah, or like a bathrobe or something. He looks pretty goofy in that. Also, I feel like Wally's just like, oh, were, were we supposed to show up wearing our superhero uniform and, and and then take it off is is that how things are well he's way less dramatic he just drops his ring on the table that has his uniform in it yeah do you think any of the other titans are just going to be like oh there's some kind of cool uniforms up for grabs mm. just, i could see beast boy making a case for oh now i'm going to be robin i mean i can literally turn into a robin ah. we already know he likes wearing a mask that serves no function from his boyhood days I think maybe Beast Boy should uh should put on those duds. So what's going to happen to Dick Grayson, though? Because he also, he doesn't say he's leaving the team. No, he's staying he with the team. gives up his leadership position and nominates Donna mm-hmm. to take over. Which, good call, honestly. Sure. I think she's been the real team leader for a while now. But good on him for recognizing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a little bit unclear. I guess maybe he's just going to, until he figures out what he wants as his new acrobatic identity just gonna kind of hang back in the cut and like do coordination stuff over headsets and stuff 
I mean, he's got to because, I mean, he can't jeopardize his secret identity. None of the Titans can. No, that would be a bad call. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think with the reveal of identities of Dick Grayson and Wally West, Terra now knows all of their secrets. I mean, Raven doesn't have a secret identity. Donna doesn't really have a secret identity, or she's just kind of all secret identity. Mm-hmm. And... I think Tara can probably figure out who Beast Boy is. I guess that leaves the only person with a secret identity, Starfire. So I guess Tara and Deathstroke just need to figure out, somehow crack the code that Coriander's is Coriander. Out of all of the orange-skinned jeans models out there, how will they do this? Oh, boy. Well, it's tough, but there is actually a tell for Starfire. Hmm. See... Starfire is like school on a Sunday. No class? No pupils. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I was going to say, I thought she was pretty classy. Oh, no, she's super classy. She just doesn't have any pupils. Okay. But, I mean, as long as she wears her sunglasses, uh, that disguise is completely impenetrable. So, yeah, tough to tell. Tough to tell. If I was Coriander, I would probably make sure that I wore my sunglasses all the time around Tara. Because Tara's a real jerk to her. Mm-hmm. Calls her balloon bod. That she does. That's not nice. Nope. First it was the Golden Globes joke and then oh. the Balloon Bob joke. Yeah, give it a rest, Tara. Let's talk about Tara a little bit. Okay. Creepy. Yeah, I don't care for the relationship that's established between her and uh, Deathstroke. Yeah, it's hinting at some intimacy shit, which is super creepy. There are a couple of ways to look at the way that she is portrayed in this issue. It's either a 21 Jump Street scenario in which she looks older and is dressing up as a younger person to infiltrate the Teen Titans, or it is a Toddlers and Tierra situation where she looks very young but is wearing way too much makeup when she is hanging out with Deathstroke, and it, it looks really creepy. I think we're maybe supposed to take away a 21 Jump Street, but it really does not make her look older. It makes her look like she is trying to look older, which makes her look younger. Yeah, I agree. It, it's and sexy too. Like she's trying to be sexy for uh, for Deathstroke. Deathstroke, and he's like it, intrigued by it, and that kind of comes away feeling uh, gross. Yeah, I worry that things are gonna get worse. Started to say before they get better, but I don't think they get better. So hmm. yeah. That being said, she does a very good job with her powers, and we see that she has learned a great deal from her time with the Titans. There's this weird game that she and Deathstroke play, where she tries to kill him and he tries not to die. Mm -hmm. And that is their established, that is the game that they like to play. His stance on it is weird. He worries that she's lost her edge and maybe she's going over to the Titans side of things. That she's getting soft because she's not as sarcastic as she used to be. She is super sarcastic in this issue all the way through. Makes me wonder if she used to be more sarcastic, which would be unbearable. Total jerk. Not even jerk. Yes, she is a jerk, but she's uh, probably right now about 80% of the things that she says are sarcastic. If that gets turned up to 100%, it would just be confusing. And it would just be like, oh, okay, so I have to do the opposite of whatever she says every time that she talks. It, it becomes almost like a math problem if it was any higher percentage of sarcastic than she is at right now. I don't so, care for that. I don't care for that either. You you know my stance on math problems. No, thank you. No, indeed. I ain't taking a corn or a farmer or a fox across a river ever just in case. 
Um, but do the trains leave at the same time? Or They may or may not leave at the same time. It is impossible to tell because I refuse to do math problems that are word problems. I really hated them. Oh, boy. Does the farmer eat the fox? Is that part of the equation? I don't know what you're talking about, sir. Okay. Sorry, denizens of the other side of the river. The farmer and the corn and the fox are staying put. So Tara and Deathstroke play their game, and he's like, she's not holding anything back. I mean, she's never hold it, held anything back and has always tried to kill me, which is, by its very definition, the nature of our game that we play. But this time, she's not holding anything back and is trying to kill me. It's weird. Yeah, I guess she got better and he's freaked out by it. But he doesn't say that she's... I mean, he does say that she's gotten better, but he states that what is freaking him out is that she's never held anything back in trying to kill him, but now she is even more not holding anything back. Which, if you're using 90% of your brain, I would think you would be able to figure out how superlatives work. Maybe that's in the other 10% that he still hasn't cracked. So, do you think that on some level he's onto something? Because it is very difficult for me to tell, and I guess this is kudos to, to Wolfman, if she is slowly coming around to like the Titans, because it's really written in such a way in this issue that she's a total sociopath. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, you're just like, maybe she's hamming it up in that aspect to please uh, Deathstroke. It's really difficult to tell to what extent Marv Wolfman is dropping intentional breadcrumbs and to what extent he is just a messy sandwich eater. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like it could be that he is intentionally misleading the reader. It could be that he is establishing clues for what he's going to do later. Or I think most likely he wants to leave his options open for going either way on it. We're just going to have to wait and find out. Okay. Back to Deathstroke. If you have only one of your eyes, but are using 90% of your brain instead of 10%. Oh, shit. I, Corey, I told you, no math problems. And the earth is moving. Oh, what time does the train leave the grain station at the Fox Emporium? I'm just saying, he's got, his one eye is probably worth more than two regular eyes. He still can't do depth perception if he can't triangulate. I don't know, maybe there's some brain power at work there that does a reflection of a light off a thing and can do it. Fair enough. My point about him that I was going to bring up is we see that he is looking at the picture of his family, which he has done in the past. Tara kind of starts teasing him about it and being like, oh, you probably love her. Mm -hmm. And he's like, yeah. Yeah, that's that's my family. So, I, I mean, I, I at least did. But, in that picture of his family, we see that he has the woman that Tara is teasing him about, and two boys. We saw that one of his boys was the Ravager who got killed in the second issue of the Teen Titans. Who do you think that other guy is? Mm, I haven't to guess at mm, this point. Breadcrumbs. Mm. Or sloppy sandwich eating. And be weird if it was turned out to be Brother Blood. Man, Brother Blood 700. How old would that make Deathstroke? Well, Deathstroke thinks that's absolute bullshit. Because yeah. he's like, you can't have been around for 600 years. Yes, seemingly impossible things never happen in the DC universe. Mm. It's established. We talked a little bit about how gorgeous the artwork is in this. 
I think that is never more evident and has not been more evident in this series than it is on the splash page on pages two and three. Holy fucking shit. It is fucking gorgeous. I think it may be the single most impressive team action shot that we've seen in the whole series so far. Man, it is so cool how Robin and Starfire coordinate where he's swinging in Tarzan style on a rope with like his legs kind of splayed out and Uh Starfire's flying between his legs into the fray. Dude, you know they work on that shit. Like in their alone time together. They gotta practice that. Yeah. He's like, all right, trapeze practice. I bet he incorporates that into their lovemaking. There is no way there is not some weird trapeze shit going on in that. (laughs) We've already Uh, seen that aerial lovemaking is something that has a regularity on Tamarand. We know that Robin is into weird shit because he's a circus folk and a billionaire. There's There's no no way that he's not into weird shit. But we also, in that panel, we see Donna doing some like almost Spider-Man looking gymnastics that are really cool. And it is just this gorgeous two-page spread that is only interrupted by Marv Wolfman saying, wow, this is such a cool picture. I'm not even going to mess it up by putting too many words in it. This is me not putting too many words in it. Aren't I a good, good boy who is not detracting from the artwork? I was a little bit annoyed at that. It's like you're really gilding the lily there, buddy. Just you don't need those panels saying that you're refraining from spoiling the artwork because you're kind of spoiling the artwork by doing that. What is he? He's like, sometimes the wise man knoweth when to shut up. Or in other words, this pick is definitely worth a thousand words. I appreciate the sentiment, but it would be best expressed by you not saying anything. Not saying that you're not saying anything. Mm -hmm. What do you think Brother Blood's plan is? Well, ostensibly take over the government to do bad things. I mean, that is his ultimate plan. But we know that Bethany Snow has been leaking information to the Titans and that she is still working for Brother Blood. So he wanted them to find the secret Alaska base. It is actually a little bit ham-fisted the way in which they have campaign posters for the politicians that they have allegedly been funneling money to. Just pasted up. It really is kind of hanging a shingle outside that says, I hope no Teen Titans find this room that has my secret evil plans in it. I guess when Robin hung up his cape, he hung up his magnifying glass and deerstalker hat too and is just kind of putting that detective shit on the back burner because seems kind of on the up and up to him. Although, is it him or somebody else who does comment like, why would this not be more heavily fortified if it was so important? It's really tough to tell. I love that page, but what is happening on it is very confusing. That information is revealed on a page that is done in black and white that is being recorded on Tara's contact lens video camera that Deathstroke has given her. And it's being watched by her and Deathstroke. And so it's impossible to tell who is saying what in the caption work. And I actually wasn't sure if there was any audio recording or if she is reconstructing the conversation for Deathstroke's benefit, and to what extent the dialogue is between her and Deathstroke, and to what extent it is by the Teen Titans. I think one argument could be made that it is they are lip-reading, and that is the fact that the dialogue is interrupted 
by the smoke rings at the end of it. The smoke comes through and over the video image and also covers up the caption work. Mm -hmm. So the reason that audio would be interrupted by something visual like smoke would be if they were lip reading. Mm -hmm. And I think that might be the case, and that is actually a pretty clever way to portray that. Whether that's what's going on or not, it makes a very, very smooth segue into the scene where it's him and Tara hanging out and watching the it images. Is so cool the way that this whole thing is is drawn. It it is really really cool. It is it is grainy black and white. It is obviously video footage that they are watching and it's it's really cool, but the way the dialogue is presented over it is kind of confusing to me where it's tough to tell who's saying what. Somebody in those is skeptical about brother blood, but I wasn't sure if that was Deathstroke reacting to what Terra is informing him that the Titans are saying, mm. or if that's something that one of the Titans was saying, mm-hmm. or what. Each of the captions has different colors on it, which I think is supposed to represent different speakers, but it hadn't previously been established what corresponded to whom. So it was beautiful and it was really well done visually but it was a little bit confusing as to that it was i think that the farmer had in fact left the depot with the fox okay and a bushel of corn oh good 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 because otherwise the goose is going to eat the train nobody wants that yeah you can't leave a goose alone with a train yeah fuck the geese yeah honestly just don't leave a goose unattended you take your eye off those fuckers they're gonna peck at you and shit all over the place they will. I've seen it happen. Oh, a hundred times. There is a really cool sequence in this comic book where the Teen Titans use their teamwork and Beast Boy's shape-changing abilities to escape from a electrical energy trap. Those two pages are amazing. They are gorgeous. They are fun. They are clever. They are scientifically nonsense. I don't understand how they did what they did. It makes no sense to me. Oh, well, Gar turned into an electric eel. Right, yeah. No, I know what happened. channel the electricity from the energy-draining cage into Starfire, who amplifies it by being from space, and then Cyborg can explode things. Wow, true man of science you are. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So... The scientific nonsense in that does bring to mind a question. When Beast Boy changes into an animal, does he gain the abilities that he assumes that animal has? Is his implausible power set before that animal based on his own ignorance? Yes. Oh, well, good. I don't see how else it would work. (laughs) There really isn't. There's a scene in a different comic book. uh, It was in the origin ones. It was while you were out of town where he turns into a porcupine and breaks a bulletproof glass casing by firing his quill at it which porcupines cannot do not to the best of my knowledge now it's possible that in the dc universe animals have different abilities but it's also possible that this is a situation with beast boy where it's like when elmer fudd chases bugs bunny off of a cliff Mm -hmm. and is standing on thin air and doesn't fall until he reads the book about gravity that gets handed to him. Mm -hmm. I feel like it might be a situation like that and that the other Titans are trying to purposefully keep Gar as ignorant as they can so that he doesn't become less powerful. Like, he's maybe signed up for some subscriptions to zoo books and they keep hiding them from him. (laughs) You're just like, quick, quick, uh, erase those pages in the di- in the encyclopedia where it says, says that shit about sawfish. They can't actually saw things. Yeah. 
I've talked about that. I don't know if it's been on this show, but how possibly the same thing is going on with Aquaman, where either he doesn't understand how fish stuff works, or he is a horrible psychopath who is just like, yeah, I mean, eventually if those hammerhead sharks keep ramming their fucking heads into things, it will break the hull of that steel ship. Either he doesn't understand how cartilage works, or he doesn't care as long as it eventually gets results, but is probably leaving all of these fish maimed. Like, the same deal with sawfish. Like, he has them cutting through timbers all the time. And I guess maybe just, like, through gradual erosion that'll work. But it is also not cool to his finny friends. But yeah, I I picture the other Teen Titans being like, Okay, okay, rip out the page from the encyclopedia that's about fire ants. Because that sounds like they could maybe shoot flames. And we want Beast Boy to think that. Do you think they feed him false information? Oh, I'm almost certain that they do. That would be a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. What false information would you feed him? Um, Albino baboon can hypnotize. I I said false information, Corey. Well, because he'd be green, but he may be like all baboons have hypnotic powers. Gotcha. It's really only the albino baboon that has hypnotic powers. Right. But he thinks that, that even a green albino baboon would have hypnotic powers. No, it's just a baboon thing. Oh, oh, he just thinks all baboons can hypnotize people. Yeah, yeah don't look at them. Okay. <laughs> don't look at them. Can I look at their butts? Because those things are purple. I mean, it's not necessarily hypnotic. Look at all but... the baboon butts you want, man. Nice. High five. I don't know. If I Corey. Want okay, fine. That's weird. Just one quick thing before we get into the minutiae. Mm. The title of this episode, Crossroads. Did you see this as more of a Ralph Macchio or a Britney Spears crossroads? I thought you were going to bring that up. We have, uh, it could go either way, honestly. We have Deathstroke being a devilish figure who is Mm -hmm. tempting one of our possible protagonists. But we also have Wally and Robin both reaching points in their life where they have to decide whether to put away childish things and attempt to embrace adulthood to a greater extent. I'm going to say that this issue is probably more of a Britney Spears situation because I don't think Deathstroke can play guitar as good as Steve Vai. Ooh, I am going to disagree with you because I think with that 90% brain power, it's like he's got 12 fingers. My math isn't very good. No, I think that's probably, that sound, that tracks. Okay. Yeah, 90% of your brain probably correlates to 12 fingers. Um, Two extra, one per hand. Right, one one per hand and uh, one small bag of grain. No geese. No geese and fox fur coat. Ham sandwich. Okay. So, Minutia. Hit it, Rick. <laughs> we got Minutia. It's not the biggest part, it's just Minutia. Like Corey eating farts, we got Minutia. Time to sweat the small stuff. Thanks, Rick. So, what do you feel like hitting first? Let's talk about all of these jackets. Okay, sartorially speaking, what elements of fashion do you feel are worthy of note? There's too many. There are too many. I had to focus my attention on three things. Mm. So I I could only pick three, but there is so much. Everybody's civilian outfits in this are worth a full podcast of discussion, but we simply do not have the time. So one of the things that I wanted to note was Deathstroke's bathrobe. He is wearing a bathrobe with an ascot and pinstripe pants. But the bathrobe looks like one that he stole from a hotel. It's got a little hotel like monogram on the pocket. It's got the hotel monogram and it is white and kind of fluffy. 
And it is weird that he is wearing dress pants with it and an ascot. And we do see when he takes off the robe, he is not wearing a shirt under it. It's just a very distinct look. And I wonder if perhaps they were trying to reinforce that he is evil by implying that he steals bathrobes from hotels. I think he didn't even consider it that, like, he was just like, I am taking this. Yeah. It is mine. I bet he's got just a drawer full of Gideon Bibles, too. <laughs> Why? Yeah, just because they're there. Oh, he just takes them? <laughs> yeah. Not it's like something doesn't... that's in a hotel. Ah, by extension, then, he would have, like, lots of little airplane bottles of booze. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he totally does. Which Why he do... did not pay for it. No, it's no. Like $7. <laughs> That's ridiculous. <laughs> he probably breaks into the adjacent room and takes them from somebody else's room so, so they that get they charged. get charged Ow. for it. And then he drinks them out of his tiny little cordial glasses. He does love those little glasses. He really does. When I was traveling, they had a thing that, I think it was in Japan, in the hotel, the minibar fridge, when you remove the thing from the door. Yeah, it's it's like the Indiana Jones, like, you got 20 seconds to replace that idol with an equivalent weight bag of sand, or we're charging you 30 bucks. I was just trying to figure out what it was. Yeah. I have encountered that as well and was just like, I can't touch anything. I don't want to knock anything over. I'm just, I want to get like a, one of those uh, bell jars and just put it over the whole situation. Yeah, I put it back real fast and closed the door real hard and walked away like nothing had happened. Yeah. <laughs> they didn't charge me. It was cool. That's good. What was your first fashion you wanted to note? Let's go with Robin's like ankle length fuzzy fur, maybe faux fur coat that he's wearing in Alaska because on account of those short pants he probably gets pretty cold so he's got this like full-on pimp looking it's a cool looking coat it almost seemed as though it is maybe an alternate cape because it looks like it's like bright yellow so maybe that's his robin action figure snow play set <laughs> suit I don't know though it's more like medieval like if it's gonna be full-on cape he needs like a like a brooch that fastens it and that has an r on it or something yeah yeah, yeah it does look more vikingy mm -hmm. like a viking pimp kind of yeah there you go viking pimp new dc character mm -hmm. you're welcome robin's new because no that's probably robin. he's not robin he's anymore gonna he's pimp. now gonna be viking yeah, pimp the vp yeah gross but nice coat speaking of cool coats that robin wears I love his windbreaker at the end. It is a brown windbreaker with white piping, and it's so fresh looking. And I just really like it. He's got like a messenger bag that he's carrying with it, which very ahead of his time. He's got the collar popped on it, and he's wearing like an orange button down under it. It's such a nice windbreaker. I actually had that like in combination with Coriander's fuchsia fashionable turtleneck like the mm -hmm. two of them together is my favorite uh, it's fashion choice. it's really good the other thing that i really really like is i like that kid flash is wearing white heeled loafers in his going away outfit i missed yeah he's got a good going away outfit too particularly white mini heeled loafers it's a tight look for kid flash black man. black jeans and like a taupe or a tan colored shirt yeah they look like they might be white penny loafers in fact in which case how the fuck? I mean, I can't imagine running at regular speed wearing those things. Running at super speed wearing those? Damn. Fucking impressive. Damn. But yeah, as I said, there's a ton more outfits. Francis Kane is wearing a really nice, like, white frilly vest over a, a pink top. It's a confusing look, but it seems authentically 80s and is like, yeah, that's the sort of thing people would wear that then you would see it later and be like, wait, did people wear that? Sound effects. What was your favorite sound effect in this issue? 
My favorite sound effect was a little gem hidden on page eight, and uh, I don't really know how to interpret it, but it just sounded funny to me, and it is the word fooch. I had the same thing. Fooch is the noise that it makes when Donna throws one of Brother Blood's acolytes through a wooden wall. But what kind of wood makes a fooch? Some I can't solve your riddle. I'm perplexed. I don't know, man. Maybe it's a tree native to the DC universe. That's the fooch tree that is called that because when you break it, it makes fooch. It sounds like Balsa Wood might make that noise, but man, I know Brother Blood's made some mistakes in the past, but I don't think he'd build his Alaskan headquarters out of Balsa Wood. Seems like like a waste of Balsa Wood. (laughs) It really does. Who's going to make those plane models? Fooch. Fooch indeed. There was a fu-oom that was nice. There were a couple of other sound effects that I liked, but none of them hit me the same way as Fooch did. I had a follow-up, uh, Ba-oom. Ba-oom's okay. That was part of the Deathstroke uh, Terra sparring match. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There were some nice noises in there, but none of them were Fooch. I had, none of them were. I, I did have a follow-up question, though, which is at the end of their, their game, which is a weird-ass game. She's clapping like that. I imagine it that like approval clap that starts slow and builds up to be a real clap. Yeah. And I think that's exactly what it is because the way that they spell it, the first one is with a C. Uh-huh. And the second clap is with a K. Ah. So it means she started slow. And- they grow harsher and louder as, as mm-hmm. they go. I think that is exactly what is happening. I think it's also probable that she is clapping for herself. She <laughs> it's did like, I did him. a good job almost killing you, Deathstroke. Yep. She's a real creep. At least she's written that way. She really is. It could be viewed that she is maybe trying too hard to convince herself. That would be one interpretation. Convince of herself of what? That she still believes in being a bad guy. By killing her mentor. Not by killing her mentor, but what she says afterwards. Don't you think you'd better get back to the Titans? Damn them, Terminator. They're sanctimonious do-gooders. I just want to kill them all. How much longer do I have to play this game? Until I know all their secrets. By the way, kid, ixnay on the makeup. Cute girl superheroes aren't caught dead in it. And as she smokes her cigarette, she says, Yeah, and damn all cute girl superheroes, too. But she's got a real sneer to it, too. It's a close-up of her face as she is sneering and smoking a cigarette. One of those stupid cigarettes, too. That's like a... Like a like Virginia a, Slim or a Capri. Or, yeah, an Eve. Yeah. Or a uh, Tampax. <laughs> those cigarettes are terrible. Have you ever tried one? <laughs> <laughs> Such a dumb joke. <laughs> that's the dumbest. Uh, oh, you gotta leave that in, though. Yeah, yeah. Cashing in, <laughs> cashing in my Corey points. Oh, the rest of them? <laughs> Sorry, bro. <laughs> you spent a lot of them on uh, that Diet Moxie, Corey. Ah, uh, so bad. Yeah. What did you have for a timestamp? We had timestamps, but we also have had show and tell that we kind of retired. You want to bring back the show and tell for this one? I do kind of want to bring back okay. the show and tell. So I did have a timestamp, but it was the wrong time. And this is, again, Beast Boy... Did we have the theory that we discussed in the past that he watched, like, a lot of really old yeah, movies? Yeah, and I think that might actually be canonical. Okay. I mean, his mom was a movie actress, his adopted mom, Rita Farr. So, mm-hmm. 
That would make sense, and that would establish his character. I know the one you're talking about, and I actually had that, and I think there is a way that it works as a current timestamp. What establishes this as being early 80s is that he is making a fly reference to the Vincent Price the fly. I think if it had been any later than that, it would have been a reference to the Jeff Goldblum fly, but this comic came out two years before the Jeff Goldblum the fly. Mm. So the fact that he is making the older reference when he turns into a fly, I think can be viewed as setting it in a specific era. Okay, okay. Also, also Michael Jackson had um, Vincent Price introduce the oh, thriller. Oh, totally, video, totally. Which I think was around this time. Oh, boy. I love that intro. It is so jarring to me to hear Vincent Price say y'alls. <laughs> and terrorize y'alls neighborhoods. It's just such a weird disconnect. It is. And to add on top of that, I remember having the experience of hearing that. And my mom was present. When I was a kid. Uh-huh. And she got excited because she recognized, she was like, oh, that's Vincent Price. He used to be in scary movies. It's like, wow. She didn't notice the comment on the y'all's part, though. Mm. So that was my timestamp. Okay, that that was what I had as my timestamp, but I couldn't figure out how to tie it in, so thank you yeah. for doing so. In lieu of that, I did revive the show Antel of sorts, but what that took the form of is finally, finally acknowledging that the best way out is through in terms of the Teen Titans fumbling, like amateurs, into traps. Ah. Which is which is what they did. The show and tell is that, um, I think it's Cyborg on page six. We blundered into this trap like amateurs? Yep. The show and tell. We blundered into this trap he like amateurs. He did blunder into the trap like amateurs, and he says, we blundered into this trap like amateurs, after he exclaims, Electricity! Well, yeah, you gotta get that out of the way first, but... I think that might be the bigger show-and-tell. He sees electricity and says, Electricity! Um, that's, a, that's a good point. It is also possible that that is just one of his standard exclamations. I like that as an exclamation. Like, if I'm surprised by something, just saying, Electricity! <laughs> You'll confuse people. Yeah, it's not like I wasn't gonna do that anyway. Mm. The other thing that... It doesn't totally fit into the timestamp category. Definitely not a show and tell. But there is an ad in this comic book that confused the shit out of me. That is for Garcia fishing rods. So it's a little known fact that, uh... Oh, I thought there was a Grateful Dead joke in there, but there is not. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Okay. It is apparently a little known fact that fishing rods cost over a million dollars. I'm pretty sure that's not generally the case. I had not thought that that was the case, but it is perhaps a poorly conceived marketing gimmick. It just says in big letters at the top of the ad, $1 million Christmas rebate spectacular. And then it's got a picture of Santa Claus, I believe, wearing a Garcia fishing rod trucker hat, clutching a fistful of money in his hand as Spider-Man hands him a packaged fishing rod. So... First of all, it's jarring to see Spider-Man appear on the pages of a DC comic book. I mean, I know it's an ad and those are separate, but you don't see the hostess ads in DC comics featuring Marvel characters. And so it's like, oh, wait, what's Spider-Man doing? There's the fact that there's a million dollar rebate offer on fishing rods, which would heavily imply that the fishing rod costs more than a million dollars. And is Santa Claus buying the fishing rod from Spider-Man? Because Spider-Man's not actually saying or doing anything or having any impact on the ad whatsoever, except for that he is handing Santa Claus a fishing rod. Mm -hmm. 
What the fuck, dude? I do not know. I think we have some old fishing rods in the garage. Are we sitting on a gold mine? I'm just saying we might be able to retire, Corey. I mean, that is I think we've got gold. three fishing rods, so... Even if we give a steep discount of right. $500,000 per yeah, rod. That's still cool million five. And I mean, that was in 1984 dollars. Oh, with inflation. We'll with be inflation, rich. yeah. Hey, if you guys want to get a good discount on some used fishing rods from us, we will sell them to you for, say, five, $500,000? Yeah, I think. $500,000 a fishing rod. You can turn those around and sell them to Santa Claus or possibly Spider-Man for, like, twice that amount. Easily. Easily, because of inflation. Because of inflation and Santa Claus and mm -hmm. Spider-Man. Yeah. Yeah, $80 are old. Yeah. This is now money. Now money for for a new generation. You heard it here first. Contact us, ttwasteland.com. Yes, and you can... Forward slash fishing rods. Forward slash fishing rods dot gov. And... <laughs> and... <laughs> oh, no. And we will sell you our used fishing rods for a mere $500,000. You're welcome, listeners. Each. Yeah, five hundred thousand. Obviously, five hundred thousand okay, dollars well, each. Just... Not, not going to sell them three fishing rods for five hundred thousand no, dollars. I love these crazy. people, but we don't want them to take advantage of no, us. No, that would be foolish. Yeah, yeah. Corey, yes, I have a suggestion, and it takes the form of an imperative. Take this party to the bozone. Yes, listeners, you have interpreted those air horns correctly. We have a natural bozo in this issue. So, the instance of one character calling another character a bozo, either literally or metaphorically, is literal in this case, when Tara, responding to Deathstroke's interrogation, says, Like I said, all those bozos do is gab. Mm-hmm. A natural bozo. Not just one. A double bozo. There's a double natural bozo. We also have one on page eight, I believe. Kid Flash wants in on the action. Even slowed down, I'm still fast enough to take on these bozos. <laughs> yes, bozo. sir. Double bozo. Double natural bozo. Double natural bozo. Man, Kid Flash goes out with a bang. Or more specifically, an air horn. Or a bozo. Or a bozo. We do have a noteworthy metaphoric bozo as well where starfire says i think we got them all and cyborg replies they were nothing even logan could have trashed them oh says it right in front of logan burn yeah there was next to that page in the comic a advertisement for cubert yeah it just now occurred to me that Kubert just is swearing the whole time. Like, every time oh, yeah. he jumps on one of those little squares, he's like, fuck, shit, goddamn, piss. Well, wouldn't you if you're trying to fucking climb a staircase and there's snakes all over it? Yeah, probably. They're like, fuck, snakes, fuck. I never realized that before. Yeah, it should be the asterisks and exclamation points and at symbols and then just snakes. Fuck, snakes. Ah, good point. Thanks. No problem. In this, as in every issue of a new Teen Titans comic, there is a Speedy, the worst of Teen Titans, and also an Aqualad, the best of Teen Titans. In this issue, who was your Aqualad and who was your Speedy? I don't often get the chance to say this, so I will relish it. But for finally following through on his promise slash threat to leave the team, I picked Wally. 
I did too. It was mitigated, and honestly, I could have almost flip-flopped my Aqualad and my Speedy, but this is the last chance that we're gonna have to give Wally the Aqualad nod, and I do appreciate the fact that he is finally leaving. So yes, good work. Wally is the Aqualad. That being said, he's kind of a dick about the way he leaves, and that he gives Raven a speech as he's leaving. She's like, are you leaving because of me? And he's like, if you only knew. Uh, I guess you do. Anyway, yeah, sometimes I love you. Sometimes I hate you. Sometimes I think you're nice. Mostly I wish you were never around and I never had to see you again. Anyway, bye. Mm -hmm. What the fuck, dude? You're leaving and you acknowledge that she already knows that information. Why not be polite? Yeah, no, bad New Englander. Like, yeah, just don't say anything. Yeah, just a curt nod. Mm -hmm. That's all you need. I don't know what they teach you in Blue Valley, but... He's going home to carve up those turkeys, be the man of the house, and go to college, so... Full-time. You know, it took you six months, but you finally did what you said you were going to do. And it's six months of him having made the firm decision to leave. There was another, like, six months before that of him saying, Maybe I want to leave. I don't know. Do I want to leave? So, been a long time coming, but goodbye, Wally. Bye. Conversely, who did you have as your speedy? As my speedy, I had Terra. Okay. She did a great job as a bad guy. Yes. So props for that. Yeah. But fair being fair, I feel like I bag on Gar a lot. Yes. For being a creepy jerk. And? And Tara, despite the fact that it was funny and we appreciated it, really catcalled Robin too much when he was doing that striptease. (laughs) And so she is the worst. Okay. Fair enough. It it didn't hit me the same way as it does with Gar. And I mean, he was stripping in front of all of them. I know, it's just a thing. But uh, I actually went with Robin just for the upstaging of Wally. It makes me think that Donna is standing right there. And I think at least in the back of her mind, she's got to be thinking, maybe I don't want to invite Dick to my wedding. Like... (laughs) Seems like probably he's going to announce his engagement to Starfire at the wedding. I mean, it's supposed to be my special day. I I know people who have done that. What? Yeah. That seems inappropriate. Yeah, but I can see Dick doing that. Damn. I mean, after this performance, Wally's been leading up to this for and like edging towards it for about a year now. And then he's like, okay, this is my big time. I'm uh, I'm quitting the team. And Robin's like... I'm changing my code name. And everybody's like, Robin? Well, maybe he's just getting rid of the short pants. Yeah. It's a big deal. Do you think he's getting rid of the short pants or do you think he's just putting long pants on over them? Wait, does he actually wear short pants or does the tunic just kind of hang down over his onesie? I mean, I think the tunic, I mean, the onesie is the short pants. I guess, I guess technically you're right. It's not pants. It's just a onesie. It's like a big speedo. Yeah. Oh, shit. I don't think we've made this official yet. Favorite panel. It could not be anything other than the opening spread. Yeah, it is. It is fucking gorgeous. The the Titans attacking and Marv claiming that he's going to get out of the way while very much inserting himself into it. Mm -hmm. It is a gorgeous panel. It's kind of just a formality, but of course that is the best one. There are also some other really great panels in it. All of the stuff that takes place within the energy cage. It's like negative images of the Titans that are done in yellow and red. And the exception to that being Gar, because he has 
changed shape and is immune to it because he's not touching the floor or ceiling or anything. It's really intelligently done and also really beautiful. There's also a close-up of uh, Tara's eyeball, which is the segue into the images that are being portrayed over her contact lens camera, which that's really great. But yeah, it doesn't get any better, not just in this issue, but I think in the series than that that two-page spread. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, I, I had a, another like silly kind of runner-up, which was not like because the artwork was good, but just because it made me giggle a lot, and that was Cyborg conking <laughs> one of the guards on the head, and it's just his, the image of his, like his fist, like yeah, it's like a hot potato yeah. bonk bonk, <laughs> um, and that is pretty great. I liked that as well. Yep, and he's just saying night. <laughs> well, I think that brings us to the end of the minutia. Yes, mm. with. But one exception. Corey, I put to you the question. Wapoot! What was Aqualad probably up to in the year of our Lord, 1984, and the month of our Lord, February? Wapoot! In February of 1984, Mm -hmm. Aqualad found his way into some prime tickets Mm. to get a front row seat to the uh it's at the bottom of the men's downhill for the 84 winter olympics in sarajevo yugoslavia wow which also happens to be the first time that a man from the u.s won the downhill race yeah as an atlantean wasn't taco lad an impartial observer in that or does the most favored nation trade status between atlantis and the united states kind of make him root for uh team usa a little more Yes. Oh, okay. However, he had a little bit more of an impact on the outcome than one would think. Oh? Yes. Due to all of the hustle and the bustle and the fancy seats in which he had found himself, he was rather hemmed in. And despite being surrounded by snow, which one, you know, would think he could just grab a handful of and hydrate so that he'd be fine. Yeah. Uh, there was not any available. Oh, no. And he really didn't want to miss the race. And it was about to start. And he realized that he was about out of water. Mm-hmm. And um, he sent Beaky. Oh, boy. Beaky, go get me some water. And so Beaky flew off and uh, was trying to, like, uh, talk to the guys at the top of the gate where the ski thing happens. Uh-huh. Like, I need that, you know, I get some water. And he couldn't, like, everybody well, was like. Pelicans can't talk. So it was also very, it was, it was very challenging. Yeah. He was able to get. Bill Johnson, American downhill racer, to understand the urgency of the situation. Like, my buddy down there it really needs water. So you have to go as fast as you can with this little cup of water. And so he handed a little <laughs> cup of water to Bill Johnson, and that is why he won the men's downhill. Oh, wow. And kept Aqualad safe. It was huh. a win-win, as they say. You would have thought if there was the tiny cup of water, Beaky could have just carried it down there. No, he was so tired from flying up that oh, big hill. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Took a whole lot of turai in just to get up that hill. Aye. <laughs> well, that is uh, that is quite a tale. Mm. It was a very busy month for young Aqualad. He also had the great honor. His buddy uh, Richard Saulwarman had a very prestigious invite for young Aqualad. You see, Aqualad has long been interested in technology, but he's also been interested in entertainment. And in addition to that, has a bit of an eye for design. And as a result of that, (laughs) Aqualad was invited to the first ever technology, entertainment, and design 
Talk. Bum, bum, bum. Which was or TED Talk, <laughs> which was held in February of 1984. He didn't have a really firm grasp on what the meeting was about. So he had his buddy Dick Worman try to explain it to him, and and what Aqualad came away with was, oh, it's just like a really big science fair kind of. Which it kind of is. But because of that understanding of it, after Benoit Mandelbrot presented his information about using fractals to map coastlines and making the Mandelbrot set, which uh, is named after his last name, and the Benoit balls, which are named after his first name, <laughs> in prevent- presenting those two groundbreaking technologies... Oh. After the demonstration of the early Macintosh computers and CD-ROMs, which were new technology at the time, after Marvin Minsky had his presentation on AI and his new model for mapping the human mind, Aqualad presented his baking soda volcano. Oh. Which actually went over pretty well. It was a really good baking soda volcano, but he was a little bit sheepish about that afterwards. So afterwards, he decided to head over to Berlin and attend the International Film Festival and watched the movie that won because its title appealed to him. Uh, It was called Love Streams. And so Aqualad was like, oh, I love streams. I will go see that movie. And instead, it was a uh, relationship drama that was a John Cassiavetes movie about a uh, a brother and sister who are redefining their relationship as they age. Aqualad wasn't into that movie so much, but he did still enjoy himself because he just sat in the theater thinking to himself, I really love streams. Mm. Huh. Streams. Love them. And that is what Aqualad was probably up to. He was fortunate in seeing that uh, the, that piece of art because it won a German golden bear. It did indeed. I don't know what that is, but it sounds pretty cool. Hey, if you can win a prize and it's a golden bear, you're doing okay. That's right. I think there was a pro golfer named the golden bear. Oh, really? I think Jack Nicholas might have been called the golden bear. Really? I don't know why I know that. Or why he would be called such. I'm assuming it's a shape-changing thing. Oh, you can probably turn into a golden bear. You wouldn't think that would help your golf game. If anything, you would think that might hinder it. Hmm. But I guess there's a lot I don't know about golf. Thank you so much for joining us, listeners, on whatever the hell this just was. <laughs> <laughs> this was a lot of fun. I really loved this comic book. I hope that came through when we were talking about it. Big events are on the horizon for these new Teen Titans of ours. Indeed. If you would like to get into touch with us, you can do so at ttwasteland at gmail.com. You can find us on uh, Instagram. You can find us in your hearts and minds. You can find us on Facebook. And uh, did I say Twitter? I don't know. Me either, but we're there. <laughs> it's uh, ttwasteland underscore. Look it up. Yeah, we'll say some things. See, see if we won't. Speaking of saying things, I had the great pleasure of saying things with my uh, lovely and brilliant wife, Lisa. We are starting a podcast that is just for the Patreon donors that is called What the Duck, a podcast most foul, but with a W, because he's a duck. That's the full name of the show. That is going to be a monthly podcast that is just for you donors, so if you'd like to check that out, go to patreon.com slash ttwasteland. The first episode is for free through the feed, and after that it will be just available to donors. So 
If you've been waiting to donate to our site, then wait no longer. Mm. Unless you want to surprise me. Tell you what, I'm very easily surprised. I'll be surprised anyway. So wait no longer. Reviews. Leave us nice words. Oh yeah, say nice things about us. To your friends, to your neighbors, to your enemies, but most specifically, to your podcatcher of choice. Thank you. Thank you very much. And I believe that's all of the things that there are to say. Agreed? I can't think of anything else. Electricity! <laughs> Bye. Bye. And they know it. like a full body speedo not a full body yeah hips up yeah yeah where's the pickup <laughs> yep said <laughs> getting a pickup it's like a dick up to the pickup <laughs> oh. oh no <laughs> <laughs> uh. oh. Oh. that's, that's, going, that's so going much that is going in the outtakes <laughs> if anywhere all right um. oh with comedy gold, we left on the cutting room floor. <laughs> Indeed. Um... Uh... <laughs>